when you're interacting with most B2B tools, it's not necessarily a fun experience. You're very purpose-driven. But if you can add a tool that you know, kind of delights people as they're going through it, it's really delivering value. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about approaches to sales enablement and how to optimize the impact of these organizations. In many of the companies I see, this growing function is falling into one of two categories. It's embraced by the field sales organization or creating friction by attempting to tell field sales how to do a job they've never done. It's an interesting paradigm when you consider how critical this organization should be to the success of the business as a whole. To tackle the topic with us today, we have Stephen Brown, Director of Product Marketing with Highspot. Stephen, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me, Chad. All right. So before we jump in, we always do one random question so people okay. can know you a little bit better. Uh, and so curious to know something you're passionate about that those that only know you at work may be surprised to learn. Oh, geez, that's a tough one. Um, I kind of wear myself on my sleeve at work. So, you know, I'm fortunately, I'm one of those people that's really lucky that I'm in a job. Like I love technology. I love marketing. I'm lucky that I'm in a job that where I can do that. But it's funny because the way I escape, I'd say the one passion I don't really bring into work is I'm kind of a political junkie. I really? just, I, you know, I, for years I would read foreign affairs, like really dry, boring stuff, like cover to cover. And that's still, that's kind of how I escape. I, you know, I escape to world problems. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a deep subject to get into, especially today. Yeah, totally. It's a lot of fun to just, you know, well, fun, depending on your perspective. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fascinating thing to watch in every way. All right. Perfect. So um, for our listeners, let's give them a little more context around Highspot and your role there. Sure, absolutely. So I lead product marketing here at Highspot. And um, what we do at Highspot, so we are a sales enablement platform. And you know what that really means is, so we're helping marketing enablement sales and services teams elevate their conversations with their buyers. Because you do that well, you're going to sell more, you're going to win more, you're going to be able to move you know, all of your pipeline metrics. And so you know, the way that we kind of do this is through a, a a set of several capabilities. So we help marketing sales have elevated conversations because we can deliver the content to them. We have content management capabilities, things like the ability to search, browse, get AI recommendations. But then you can also put that in context. So we have a smart page technology, which is a way of delivering guidance alongside content. Because today, far too many people in product marketing and enablement are kind of just throwing uh, content over the wall and letting people figure out what to do with it. So we really solve that problem. And then, you know, underlying all of that is is analytics. Like you want to know how everything is performing. You know, as as a marketer, I want to know which sellers are actually using my content. Where is it working? What is the revenue that it's driving? And for a seller, they're going to get insights all the way to that endpoint, endpoint so they can see when their buyers are engaging with content, what they're looking at, how long they're spending on different pieces. And it's great for me as a marketer too, because I can see that as well. I can see everything that's happening from you know, the time we create a piece of content to when it's actually being used and the guidance we delivered and knowing is that really helping 
you know, at the end of the day, win more deals, increase conversions, and so on. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So let's jump into the topic at hand, sales enablement in general. I always like to start with a baseline just so everybody's on the same page. So how are you defining what sales enablement is versus what it isn't? Yeah, I I would say like today, there's still a a lot of definitions for what sales enablement is. You know, it's been maturing fairly rapidly over the last, you know, a couple of decades. The way we kind of look at it is, you know, sales enablement, it's, it's a strategic function they handle the ongoing process of equipping sales teams with what they need to be successful. Things like the tools that they're using, the content, the guidance, the training and coaching that they need to actually be effective in the moment of action when they're actually talking to their customers. And you know, I can give some specific examples on, on what I think that means. I mean, one is making sure that the content and the guidance is relevant to the seller in every situation that they're in. And this is a pain point I think, you know, every seller has had at one point or another where, you know, the easiest thing to find or what they just can't find that exact piece. Maybe they saw it, you know, a week ago and it wasn't relevant then, but now it's relevant. So you need to make sure that they have that. And obviously they also need the guidance to know how what to, what to do with it. Another piece of this is, you know, you need to provide yourselves with flexible ways to engage their customers. I mean, when you think about the tools that you're providing, you want to give your sellers tools so they can really showcase the story that you're trying to tell to uh, their buyers. And so that could be, hey, we want to have uh, the ability to take the content and do a nice live presentation or build a custom microsite where we can invite uh, customers in to engage with that. So you need to make sure that you know we're positioning ourselves in the best light to tell our story. And like I mentioned before, I mean, real-time visibility and analytics comes into play a lot when you're thinking about enablement. I mean, to be a strategic function, you need to be somewhat data-driven and have some of the insights to know what's driving the business forward, what's driving revenue. So I see that as another responsibility of sales enablement. And then, of course, you know, some of the very obvious things like training and coaching, you know, I think that's very true for, for modern enablement today, that they're very invested in those. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we end up working with a lot of, of sales enablement teams and, and they, yeah, they fall into interesting categories, which is probably a whole nother podcast. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll alone. yeah, they but. sure do. And it's funny, you know, I, one of my, I got, I got this question, um, from somebody during a conference recently. And I love this question. I'm like, well, you're in product marketing. Where does your job end and where does sales enablement begin? And that's, that's just such a good question to think about because I really, if, if you're fortunate enough to have, a sales enablement function, you know, you're figuring out how to work best with them. And I really do view it as kind of like a gradient where our responsible, where our responsibilities end and theirs begin. I mean, we're all, you know, we have the same objectives at the end of the day. And so it's, it's almost like we're working in parallel. It's not really fair to say there's, you know, obviously there's some roles and responsibilities that you can separate from the two, but by and large, I mean, traditionally you've seen a lot of sales enablement in product marketing too. So, um, you know, this is, this isn't a new problem for us. Understood. So when we were prepping for this, you used a phrase that uh, caught my eye and it was the sales enablement imperative. So tell me more, tell me more about this because that's one heck of a phrase. It just jumped out of the email at me. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, and I, I could almost qualify that a little bit. I, you know, lately I've been wanting to call this more and more kind of the enablement imperative because just calling it the sales enablement imperative just feels a little bit too limited because there's a lot of people involved in this. I mean, you have other marketing teams, 
you have you know oftentimes multiple enablement teams uh, you don't just have sales reps you have sales managers maybe you have a services team an account management team there's just a lot of revenue generating teams that you need to make sure are enabled so call it sales enablement imperative or the enablement imperative what i mean by that is there's kind of a couple pieces to what we view as imperative today in sales enablement. And so one is, I think it's a little bit more conventional wisdom. And you know, if you talk to almost anybody in product marketing, as I do frequently, they'll be like, I have a content management problem. Like that remains a challenge for everybody. Like, where do I put the stuff once I create it? How do I get in the hands of my sellers? <laughs> How do I update it? And you know, the reality is you need a modern platform to do that. And so we can't shy away from that conventional wisdom. It's real. Like if you don't have a great way to uh, help your sellers search for content, you need to fix that. If they can't go in and browse something, if they don't know exactly what they're looking for, you need to give them a great experience. And it's kind of the same for recommendations. I mean, people today, I think they really expect you to serve up relevant insights and recommendations. People are used to going to Amazon and, and seeing, you know, all sorts of recommendations on the page and, you know, people are clicking on those. And so we kind of, we need to give like an Amazon like experience to sellers as well. So, so that's really the first half guidance and you can't escape that. But the other big half that we talk about in the imperative, and I think this is, you know, kind of the, it goes to the heart of that, of what we mean by the imperative. And that is the guidance piece, sales guidance, uh, like a sales play, creating a sales play is one type of guidance that you would provide and how important that is today. Like literally that is half of the battle. You need to get that together. You need to solve these two things together to have you know, a highly functioning sales enablement team. And so, okay, so if we're focused on content and guidance, uh, and, and this is part of that core imperative, when you're out there um, working with other sales enablement teams or meeting other sales enablement teams mm-hmm. and talking to them, what are the two or three things you're seeing them do that I don't want to say are wrong, maybe aren't as optimal as they could be? Yeah, no, I think I like the way you're positioning that. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, the reality is a lot of times it is wrong. And, uh, you know, I... I certainly, you know, kind of look at my past life. I've been a product marketer for, you know, over 10 years. And I look at my past life and what I did and how wrong it was through kind of, you know, like <laughs> the lens that I have now and understanding more about sales enablement. But the number one thing that I continue to see is just throwing stuff over the fence and expecting sales to know what to do with it. Right. That still is just, it's so existential for, you know, what we do. And if we continue to do that, it just doesn't work. And on occasion, you'll get, you know, maybe some of your best sellers will figure it out and some people will. And you may think, great, I've cracked the code. It's just great content. Therefore, everybody knows what to do with it. Uh, That's just simply not the case. (laughs) So (laughs) you you literally have to write down like, okay, what what does this rep, what do they need to know? What do they need to say? What do they need to show? And you need to organize that for them in a very clear way. So that's one of the biggest things. The other one, we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of that first class experience one of the worst things I remember as a, as a seller, you know, in my past life, I was a salesperson. Boy, when you needed to find a deck or a presentation or uh, a data sheet, you were just hunting and pecking through folders. And maybe there was, you know, it was a long time ago. So there's just some horrible internal wiki pages that you kind of had to click through to figure out what was going on. You didn't know if anything was up to date. That big thing really is you should be treating anybody that is interacting with customers, giving them that first class experience to discover stuff. You know, they, they want, you want them interacting with your tools, with your content, with your messaging, with your guidance. And the way you do that is give them something that they want to work in. And that's something that we, we try very here 
very hard here at Highspot is, you know, we have an expression you hear on our engineering side and it's one of our core values, but we build software with a spark of magic. And I thought that was uh, an, an interesting phrase when I first came in, but I see it's kind of real. I mean, it's, you know, when you're interacting with most B2B tools, it's not necessarily a fun experience. You're very purpose-driven. But if you can add a tool that, you know, kind of delights people as they're going through it, uh, it's, you know, really delivering value. I mean, that's a huge part of delight. When they get recommendations, they're hyper-relevant. I think we should be thinking about that a lot because if you're not doing that, you know, again, you're just throwing stuff over the wall. People aren't going to engage with the experiences that you're giving them. They're not going to use it. And every and your strategy kind of falls apart after that. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned so the, the wall, right? Throw it over the wall. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting for a, a lot of years, it was always about um, the sales and marketing get along. Are they aligned? Are they walking in lockstep? And this, um, and I know we're totally off the script this thing. No, no, all good. Um, but but what I see now is is there's a struggle, uh, almost a friction point um, in some cases where sales enablement by throwing things over the wall is creating a divide inside of the organization that, you know, the whole revenue organization, which is yep. designed to optimize yep. the business. And not only from a content standpoint, but even from a, you know, training standpoint, I see yes. it. And, you know, they, they come in, they say, hey, you're going to implement this. And the field goes, why would I listen to you unless you've walked a mile in my shoes kind of thing? Right, right. So how do you how do you help companies make sure that wall doesn't create friction and get in the way of the, the end goal, which is driving more revenue? Yeah. So you're yeah you're going um, right to some some things that we've been doing here and that some of our customers are doing too. So I mentioned the no say show framework, and the reality is with a framework like that, you can't just give that to product marketing and say you know hey maybe for this um, uh, let's say there's a product launch coming up. I, as a product marketer, I can't anticipate everything that my audience is going to need. You just can't do it. I'm not on enough sales calls. Nobody in product marketing is. We really need to bring somebody from sales. Maybe there's a sales manager who's really close to this scenario. We need to bring them into a room and we need to meet with them as we start to build out this guidance. And so, you know, they're, they're the audience subject matter experts. Product marketing, we're oftentimes the topic experts. So we need to be in there too. Like we, we have a lot to contribute to what to know, what to say, what to show. So does that salesperson. They are a critical piece to it. And then add in your enablement expert. I mean, enablement, you know, so many things I mentioned before about how they're really supposed to, you know, provide the best tools and the best experiences and help write that guidance in a way that will land for sellers. Because in a lot of ways, they're the audience owner of the sales teams. They really understand their needs. Think of these three people in a room together, building the guidance and the difference that that would make. And I'm not talking about, hey, I'm going to start a document, send it to you, and you can mark it up and then send it to the next person. I'm saying literally these three people you know, are in a room or they're on a call and they're doing this in real time. I, I find that's yeah. the best way to break down those walls. I, I mean, it essentially becomes a, a change management. I mean, we're talking about a change management approach in, an, in order to drive that type of alignment. And there has to be... There has to be respect, right, for each of those different roles. And yes. I've, you know, there are some sales professionals that get it and understand what sales enablement is there to do. And there are some I've run into that find them trying, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and part of that, I mean, as a, I mean, as a sales professional, I, be the first to admit, we all have massive egos, but they're extremely, <laughs> extremely fragile. 
right? We're like snow globes. And so it's a, it's an interesting paradigm and challenge, not only from getting the alignment across multiple groups, but also having to ensure that they can speak a common language, which right. is going to drive an effective change management approach that will be successful because we know a lot of those have a tendency to fail because there's a great deal of risk. Yes, absolutely. And if you, if you can drive that alignment, you know, through new tools and new processes and stay dedicated to that, um, a whole bunch of good things, you know, kind of naturally happen from there. And one, like you talked about there is, you know, having people speak a common language, you know, really, I, I, I say this to my team all the time, like, you know, a pretty good strategy that is consistently delivered is, you know, better than a great strategy that's, you know, haphazardly delivered. Um, <laughs> I love that. I, I really, I like, hey, we need to be consistent in how we're doing this. And every touch point, um, I think, I'm trying to remember what the, um, I think it was a corporate executive board study or a bench, recent benchmarking one where there's like 6.8 people involved in every deal now in B2B. Oh, absolutely. On average. I mean, that's just an incredible number of people. And you can't have different conversations with those people at different times. Everybody needs to be on the same page, reinforcing, you know, the same value. And everybody needs to be able to have good conversations that elevate them. And so they have to be coordinated. Yeah. And the consistency one is one that resonates really strong with me. Are you familiar with gong.io? Absolutely. We use Gong here. Yeah. I love Gong. I love, the, yes. I love the product, but I also am I'm a huge fan of Chris Orlobs over there and the labs stuff they're doing. Mm-hmm. They, they did an analysis. I think it was 4.5 million sales calls to figure out what set teams that crushed it apart from those that didn't. And it, uh-huh. and when I had him on our podcast and when I had him on here and he's telling me about it, he's like, yeah, he was, I expected there to be, you know, two, three levers you could pull. He goes, it literally comes down to one thing and it is consistency of sales of behavior from rep to rep. Right on. And, yes. and that, I mean, that consistency requires people to be on the same page. It's, it just, I mean, it sounds so simple. Hey, consistency is what we're after, but you take into account all of the different personalities that you've got, different organizational cultures, different generational biases with, with the diverse generations that we've got in the workplace today. And it becomes one heck of a, I think, fun and, and, interesting puzzle to jump into and, and try to drive that alignment and that the successful change management to get to that consistency. Yes. Yeah. I, and, you know, you're touching on a bunch of things that, you know, I think people who are walking this journey are kind of surprised to learn. Like it actually is a lot more fun and your job is a lot more fun when you're, you know, building these types of things with your enablement, with your sales reps, and you're doing that together because, you know, anybody coming from product marketing, in my perspective, you know, if, if I'm not interacting directly with the sales manager, he's going to have a bunch of things to add to it at the last minute or a bunch of changes. And so, you know, if I can get those questions addressed early on, they're on my side. He's way happier because it feels good. You're happier when people like your stuff and you think it's going to work and you know they're going to use it. You know, and maybe this is where I come into, you know, hey, we as product marketers, like, hey, we want to be loved. <laughs> we, want, we want to, so, you know, we want people to use our stuff. And that's also one of the biggest like misnomers that a lot of salespeople do. They're just so happy. Like, hey, here's an updated data sheet. They're just so happy you did it. And they won't give you that genuine feedback and tell right. you like, hey, no, actually, this is not that good. Uh, please, please start over. Here's some feedback, and that's stuff you know we typically want to hear. Um, but I, but anyway, the Uber point is like I, I totally resonate with the fact how fun it is, you know, when you're working with the key stakeholders who are gonna at the end of the day, you know, help tell this consistent message and keeping everybody on the same page. It's it's way more fun than just throwing it down and then figuring out who do we blame when 
you know, we're all talking about different things. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely more fun and effective if you're doing it as a group rather than as an individual locked away in some closet yeah. somewhere. And people are still doing it. Oh, I know. I and yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess me when I was. I mean, I started my career in marketing. And I, I remember those days where you're like, Oh, I don't know how sales is going to handle this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to like it. And that fear of, you know, we just invested a whole bunch of time in this. We, we asked for your input, but you are all too busy to give it to us. Yes. That's what you yes. get. Totally. That, yeah. That man, I had sleepless nights. I remember those. That was not fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why if you can shift the whole culture and be like, Hey, look, we're not going to give you this guidance until you give us our feedback on it. We're not going to land it until we have that feedback. Um, if everybody is fully invested in this process of getting together, building things collectively, it makes a massive difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you give us an example of a customer that's been successful with, with the approaches that you're recommending? What kind of, yeah, what it looks like? Totally. So there, there, we have a lot of customers who are using smart pages right now to deliver guidance. Uh, some I can talk about, some I can't. And <laughs> it's, what's great is they're all over the place in terms of their maturity and how they're doing this. I think I could say, so this week we hosted a webinar with one of our customers, Dialpad, based up in Toronto. So at Highspot, we host regular webinars, spotlighting some of our customers to share some of their learnings with other customers. And um, Dialpad is you know, an incredible organization. They have a really good sales enablement team, really good product marketing leaders. So it was, it was awesome to just see how they took a framework like this that's relatively new. I mean, we've really only been talking about the No Say Show framework you know, for really the last six months and they've been running with it. And the success that they're getting, I'd say are a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, on, on the business metrics, you know, and in a lot of, a lot of ways, in some areas, it's too soon to tell in other areas, they can see some of the results. For example, if they're listening to gong calls and stuff, they can see more consistency in messaging, but they, they're telling us that they are seeing an impact on some of those, you know, basic win rates, like those basic metrics, like win rates, conversion rates, ramp time for reps, deal velocity. So you're seeing movement in a lot of those. I would say another big category is, and, and this is kind of a quote, like our sellers love it. That's what we're hearing from them. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, we're in, you know, we're B2B marketing. You don't hear the word like love used no, in our marketing <laughs> vernacular. And so whenever I hear that, my ears perk up and the feedback here is like, well, yeah, our sellers love it because, you know, they're engaging with the guidance and the content in experiences that feel like they're a first class experience for them. Enablement loves it because they know people are actually using stuff. They've invested time in, you know, building out some of these smart pages. And in marketing, we love it. And from what I hear from them is they're actually getting their enablement team, marketing team, and some of their sales leaders together to build the guidance. So they're they're following our recommendations and something we've been doing internally here for quite some time. It's you know, that's why we're out there preaching this because it's worked very well for us too. But you know, just the fact, the start of it, that you know, stuff they were sort of doing before, they've now put it all together and served it up in a way for their revenue generating teams to engage with it is a massive win. And then of course from there seeing the positive impact on you know those key business metrics. Excellent. So all right, so we've talked a lot about how what sales enablement should or shouldn't be doing, but I'm curious, any advice for the sales professionals that have to interact with sales enablement, any advice we can give them so that their interactions are more productive? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like I, I give the same advice for uh, sales teams as I do my fellow marketers here. And so there's a couple of things like I'll say, hey, marketer or sales manager, you really need to be joined at your hip with your marketing counterpart or your enablement counterpart. That's the first thing. Like, again, you 
feel, have that um, dialogue, have that back and forth as much as you can, have recurring meetings with them. But really, you're, you're joined with them at the hip in everything that they're doing. You're giving feedback on everything. It needs to be an important piece of your job. The other thing that I don't, I don't know if people appreciate this quite enough, but you should be treating your enablement function truly as a strategic function. You know, not just going to them with, oh, I have these five requests, just get that done. And then, you know, I'll, you know, use the new tool I requested and I'll use the new content I requested. And that's the end of it. You have to be leveraging them for, you know, for strategic insights. I mean, a lot of increasingly enablement, they're tracking a lot of performance metrics. You should be relying on them to uncover like what strategies are working, where they're failing, but don't be shy about, you know, engaging with your enablement function. And and maybe there's coaching and some training opportunities that you need to uncover too. Maybe that's where things are breaking down. But generally speaking, they're strategic advisors and designed to like help you (laughs) sell more and and have better (laughs) conversations. So it's a mistake to kind of treat them as if they're not like a first class strategic function. Perfect. All right. So let's change direction a little bit here. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a director of product marketing, that makes you a prospect Mm -hmm. for some people. (laughs) And so always curious to understand if somebody doesn't have a relationship or a trusted Mm -hmm. referral into you, how does somebody capture your attention, earn the right to get, you know, 15, 13 minutes on your calendar? What works best? Yeah, uh, this is another great question. It's funny. A lot of times my most seasoned reps won't ask this question, but uh, a lot of the new ones, and especially some of the young ones, they ask this question very early on. Like, how do I get your attention? And the reality, and I have to you know, tell them the truth, there's no magic answer for me or a magic answer that will work for me and everybody else. The reality is I'm a product marketer at a hyper-growth company. I have a lot to do. I have <laughs> a lot of priorities. It's almost, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this to, to email marketers because this, is, this scares me when I say it, but it's almost like, hey, you need to, you know, continue to follow up with me because the bottom line is the, your best chance for getting me to engage is, you know, getting something in front of me when it's, kind of, when it's relevant, either a primary or maybe even a peripheral priority for me. That's your best chance. And if you're trying to put something in front of me, it's just, I'm sorry, it's just like not even close to one of my priorities right now. I'm probably going to ignore it. And there's very little you can do. So there's a bit of a numbers game there. Uh, it's almost like you got to get lucky and get me at the relevant time. And, you know, then, then there's, a, of course, a lot of other things, you know, there's, you know, a lot of times I'll see some, you know, clever little gimmicky subject lines going through. And I actually don't mind those. I rarely respond to them. I'm just like, oh, good. Someone's being different. I appreciate the creativity. <laughs> But the thing that really gets me is when you get kind of deceitful ones and you get, you know, occasionally I'll get this from some sales reps that will say like, Hey, your CEO, Robert wanted us to connect with you. It's like, okay, so I'm going to open that up. Well, they've probably never talked to him or anything. They're just, you know, kind of saying that to get me to open and engage and and things like that turn me off uh, in the long term. Oh yeah. It destroys credibility and trust. Completely, completely, which is like the opposite of what you should be trying to do today. Right. All right. right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. There was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional service people, one piece of advice you could give that you believe if they listened would help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? Uh, I can only tell them one thing, boy, that's hard for me. I think what I I would probably, probably say, and I think this is probably true for all the audiences and particularly my peers in marketing, 
But own your strategies to the endpoint. And the endpoint is, hey, did it convert? Like what is being said to customers? What are the customer conversations being had out there? And what I mean by that is don't just think about your training, your coaching, the enablement, the content that you're dropping. Like literally, and that's, you know, you mentioned Gong before, like understand the words that they're actually saying. Evaluate that. I mean, it's your strategy. It's not done until you, you know, it's actually manifesting through your sales force and you're seeing that, you know, in your pipeline metrics. That's how you know whether or not your strategy is working. And I would say, you know, especially if you're an organization that's good at getting everybody rallied around you know, a core set of, you know, KOs or strategies, having everybody aligned to those and feeling ownership in them is absolutely critical. Like enablement, uh, my enablement counterpart should, you know, again, be joined at the hip with me and understanding the strategy. And they should care just as much about, you know, how it's actually landing at the end of the day and whether or not it's working. Perfect. All right. So for listeners interested in talking more about the topics we've touched on today, what's the best way to get in contact with you? I would recommend that you just go to highspot.com. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. There's some forms that people can fill out or they can always email me directly. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to offer that to anybody who'd like to chat. And it's just stephen.brown at highspot.com. Excellent. I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure as well. Thanks, Chad. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. Hit us at b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Like what you hear, do us a favor, write us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.